Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. And turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. This is our communion service here this evening. I'll do a little teaching here this evening, and then we will uh, partake of communion. Amen. As the Lord set this ordinance for his disciples. Amen. In the book of, in the gospels for that matter. Amen. Uh, just a couple announcements as you are turning there. Uh, we will be here on Sunday. Newsflash. We will be here on Sunday. Amen. Come and be a part of our 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. services. Amen. And uh, we'll have a good time in the Lord. Next week is prayer revival. Next week is prayer revival. What that means is you still come on Wednesday night. Still come on Wednesday night. Amen. Monday through Friday is for matter of fact. Amen. Uh, come for time of prayer between 7 and 8. Amen. Come and pray with your brothers and sisters each night. I'll have... Uh, denoted in the foyer what our focus is for that night. Amen. It's not that you just have to pray for that, but include that in your prayer with anything else that you may be praying about uh, that night. And media fast as well. We're kind of unplugging from televisions and cell phones and things of that nature. Say, Brother McGee, cell phones all got landline. I understand that, but sometimes you use it more than what you need to use it. Okay, and so the rule of thumb is this, so everybody don't just come and start asking me, well, what does that mean in newspapers? Does that mean this, da, 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 da. Whatever that normally occupies a lot of your time outside of your Bible and, and church and praying, disconnect. Lay it down. Don't do it for a week. Amen. Don't do it for a week. And we'll Sunday, Sunday, we'll make sure that every, every meal from Monday through Friday is covered with fasting. Amen. As well, literal fasting food fasting, okay, uh, type of thing as well. And so just be remind you of that. However, on that Friday night uh, from 7 to 8 where we have a prayer at 8 o'clock, then in the back we're going to have family game night. We did this last year, came to the back. We kind of brought just finger food, snack food, stuff that you're not supposed to eat. And uh, we just uh, ate and uh, played games with one another, had a good time with our families and such, and with the church family overall. Amen. So we're expecting some just good things, amen, throughout that week. Hallelujah. And so communion and prayer revival, and then two weeks from this Wednesday, foot washing, all of this is just a, a good time for the beginning of the year to uh, realign and reset and repurpose uh, our lives with the Lord and one another. One another. Amen. First Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 23. Uh, just a few verses here that the Apostle Paul is relaying to the church at Corinth. And he's really just relaying what was relayed in the Gospels concerning uh, the, the, the Lord's Supper uh, communion. And so I'm just going to take these four verses here. For I have received the Lord, Paul says, that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. That's a powerful statement to me that the backdrop, the backdrop to the communion with the Lord was betrayal. Amen. That in the time of communion, while we're here tonight communing with the Lord, there's somebody else that's betraying him. Amen. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. 
This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do shew the Lord's death till he come. My subject matter is very evident this evening. It is on communion. Amen. Want the Lord, amen, going to pray to the Lord right now, ask the Lord to help us. Want the Lord, I hope that you've been thinking about this uh, leading up to this service, be thinking about this. This is a very uh, a reverent time, serious time, amen, but also a time that should be have our hearts full of gratitude and thanksgiving, amen. So let's pray to the Lord tonight. Father, I'm asking Jesus that you would, Lord, come down. I invite you, Lord, into, Lord, this service, God, the, the teaching, Lord, of your word, Lord Jesus during, God, this time of communion. I pray, O oh Lord, you're able to open our hearts and minds. God, that we be receptive, Lord, to your word. Help, Lord, each and every individual in here. God, I want to approach this, Lord, with a mindset, God, of Calvary, Lord, and with a mindset, Lord, of thanksgiving and gratitude to the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice in my place. Father, I love you and I thank you tonight. Lord, if we could have a visitation of your spirit, Lord, before we leave this place. God, I'll give you the glory and the honor for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Although it wasn't until the Gospels, just for Scripture references for you tonight, Matthew 26, you can find it there. You can find it also in Mark chapter number 14 and John 6, where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And he tied it, being the, the time in which he instituted that, he tied it to the Feast of Passover from the Old Testament because when the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, it was during a Passover celebration that he done this and with purpose because he was tying this to the Old Testament Passover. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians and the verses that I read to you tonight, tells us then about the proper observance, if you will, of the Lord's Supper, or if you want to call it, communion. And he tells us the proper observance of it while he is using the words of Jesus himself that he spoke when he first instituted this in the New Testament with his 12 disciples. Whenever you consider communion in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, Exodus 12, uh, speaking about the Passover and the children of Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage, how the death angel was going to come by, take all the firstborn of both man and beast, the scripture said. That whole occurrence of Exodus 12, that really gives communion a place of origin. It is all the way back there. That gives it its place of origin. It is the Gospels then that provide it actually being instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ with his disciples. And then when we turn to Corinthians, like where we are this evening, Corinthians then is just providing some, some details or clarification to the proper practice of communion because we'll see here in a little bit that Paul was addressing this because there were some problems going on in the way that people were approaching the Lord's table, so to speak. And so uh, although Paul was not, of the 12 apostles sitting at the table when the Lord instituted communion, uh, he did receive this 
The Bible says after Paul was converted from Saul, he had a period of time, you can read it of Galatians, that he was in Arabia and he had some encounters with the Lord. And the Lord taught Paul, gave Paul some revelation during that time. And so although he was not personally there by revelation of the Lord, uh, the Lord shared with him this concept, this ordinance of communion. And so Paul is just recounting the words of Jesus from that night. Now, I believe we would all, if you've been exposed to uh, this ever before in your life, that we can all agree that communion is definitely about remembering Jesus's body that was broken for us. It's about his blood that was shed. And I know I always do this, but just bear with me. His blood that was shed, not spilt. I always want to make that distinction, folks. Spill indicates an accident. Shed, that's something that's done on purpose. Okay. He shed it. We were considering that he shed his blood. Amen. And so we agreed that we're remembering those things whenever we partake of the bread and we partake of uh, what Scripture calls the fruit of the vine for our purposes tonight. That is grape juice. All right. Uh, but anyway, we, we know that it, it's remembering that, but it's also... Here's something I think maybe we, we, we miss or we don't concentrate much on when we take communion. It's not about just remembering the Lord's body that was broken and his blood that was shed for us. But it's also in doing so we should be giving consideration to one another. Amen. That we should be giving consideration to one another. Because it's through, and I'm calling just ordinance, it's through the ordinance of, of communion that, yes, we remember him but in doing so, we're considering one another because we, by virtue of salvation, by virtue of being born again of water and the spirit, we have become members of his body in particular. Amen. And so we take the bread and yes, we're considering Jesus Christ, his body that was broken for us. But now on the, the side of the cross that tips toward the New Testament, after, after Calvary, we have been made a part of that body. Amen. And so it's just not communion with the Lord that needs to be given consideration, but communion with the members of his body that after you've been born again of the water and the spirit that you've become a part of. And so with that reason, the Apostle Paul is detailing in 1 Corinthians how a person should approach communion. He's addressing this matter with the Corinthian church because, as I said, there is a problem with the Corinthian church and how they are approaching communion. As a matter of fact, he states what the problem particularly is in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians. I didn't give you all verses tonight. I'm so, I just now hit me. I had two meetings before church. God bless you all. <laughs> Amen. He, he states what the problem was in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18. He said, I hear that there are divisions. He says, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now, listen, if you take the word communion in the Greek, what the Greek word that's translated into communion in our English Bibles, it actually means having in common partnership or fellowship. Fellowship. And so the Lord's Supper that should, Paul's addressing the Corinthians, the Lord's Supper that should have been a time of fellowship 
with God and their fellow man. Uh-huh. Of, of partnership with God and their fellow men had turned into, you can read before the verse, the four verses I read to you, read before them, read after them. That gives great context to what Paul's addressing here because what's happened is they have turned the Lord's Supper into some type of feast of division. A feast of division where the rich were kind of getting together and eating, all right, Eating because whenever we even look at the Passover, they had a Passover, they had the Passover meal, and then the Lord had the, the, the bread and the fruit of the vine to institute the Lord's Supper. They had people that were coming together that were eating, and others were going hungry. You can read it in the Bible. And so there was a distinguishment, if you will, of the rich and the poor. There, if I if, can I just get just where it's at? They had cliques. They had cliques. They had these little groupings whenever they were coming together to the Lord's table. He says, I hear there should be division. Now, see, there's a contradictory here. We're coming together for communion. He says, we're coming together for communion with the Lord, but also discerning the Lord's body, not just that it was broken, but the body as it stands now, which is the bride, the church, to communion with partnership and fellowship with one another. But you all got some divisions among yourself. And so that's, that's how are you accomplishing how are you accomplishing this? How are you approaching the table rightly with division when we're supposed to be coming together but we're apart? And so the Bible says, this is what Scripture says, if I can just share a few, and if you can row with me or use your Bibles if you got to. <laughs> Galatians three twenty-eight. the Bible says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm just going to hit a few scriptures here, okay? They, they, they correlate with one another if you'll read them and understand them as we go. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17. So if you was where I started at, you can just turn back one. The cup of blessing, which we bless. He's talking about the fruit of the vine. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Look at 17. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Now correlate now that with 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 and 25. There's other verses you could read, but we could be reading just Bible all night. I tell you, we, that might be fun. We'd try that one night. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Amen. For by one spirit are we all baptized into what? One body. Whether we be what? Jew or Gentiles. Whether we be bond or free. And have, all, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. See, what he's saying is, he's saying, if we wanted to, we could segregate the body of Christ and say, well, these were Jews. Those were Gentiles. That was Samaritans. They were born bond. They were born free. And we could have division. But he says, whenever we've been born again by one spirit, we were baptized into one. I'm starting to feel the Holy Ghost around here. We were baptized into one body. And so it's not just having communion with him, but it's with each other amen now look verse 25 let's get down to verse 25 that there should be no schism that means split gap division that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one 
for This is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians 11. He's dealing with a schism. He's dealing with a division. He's dealing with these groups because some of the Corinthians were having lavished, you can read it, lavished private suppers, amen, while others among them came hungry. Look at verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for in eating, everyone taketh before other, it's talking about other supper, the Lord's Supper, they, they're taking before other his own supper. They are having some of these lavish private meals, amen, some of the more wealthy or more endowed while the poor came in hungry, amen. Now, listen, in Matthew 26, Matthew 26, you can read of when the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, Jesus shared, again, note that Jesus shared the Passover, the bread and the fruit of the vine with his disciples, he did not share the Passover with Matthew and James and then come together with the 12 and share the, the bread and then the fruit of the vine. No, it was all shared collectively with that group of 12 that he was investing his self, his ministry, and his life in two. Amen. They shared their meal. They shared their communion, if you call it, together. Amen. And so consider this too, folks, that there be no divisions so we're remembering the Lord's body that was broken. And when I say broken, I'm just talking about bruising and beating because not one bone of his body was broken according to David in the Psalms and according to New Testament Scripture. But broken in the sense that it was bruised, it was battered. Amen. So we're remembering that body for us. And when we do, though, that body that was sacrificed, was it sacrificed just for a certain race or a certain nationality or ethnic group? Was the body just for the poor? Was it just for the rich? No. The body was for all of humanity and not just a certain group here. Or Paul says this cannot be. We're approaching the table wrong. If you're going to remember his body, you're going to remember that body was good for the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the yellow, those that are educated, uneducated. Supposed to do that in I, I do it on communion. I'll tell you right now, I do it right now. And so, one way in which they had failed in approaching the, the table of communion is that they had failed to examine themselves mm -hmm. and participated, and I'll comment on this more later, and participated unworthily, which means irreverently. I'll talk about that more later. And, and, and they failed, as the Bible says in verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 11, they failed to discern the Lord's body in a very literal sense and in a figurative sense concerning his church. They failed to recognize or at least consider how they were treating one another. Now here's something awesome to me. We talk about communion, we talk about the, the body, and we talk about the blood. We say, well, you know, instituted perhaps in the gospel's origin at Passover. Yeah, but really its origin goes back before the beginning of time. Because the body and the blood were in the mind of God before he spoke the first thing into existence. 
now, I'm telling you. John 1 and 1 said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Now, the word word, all right, you follow me? The word word in John 1 and 1 is logos. It's the Greek logos. There are basically two words in the New Testament that are used for the word word, okay? There's basically two Greek words that are used for the word word in the New Testament, logos and rhema, all right? They are not the same. They are not interchangeable. They both come from two different root words in the Greek. They are not the same. Logos, listen to me, that's in John 1, 1. Logos emphasizes the conceptualization stage, such as the thought, the reason, where we get our English word logic. But Rima, on the other hand, stresses the articulation or the utterance stage of communication. In other words, in the beginning was the thought, and the thought was with God, and the thought was God. In the beginning was the reason. In the beginning was the purpose. In the beginning was the plan, and the plan was with God. And the purpose was God. How could the reason and the purpose be God? Because verse 14 tells us that reason, that purpose became flesh that we knew as Jesus Christ. What are you saying? In the mind of God, he already had the body and the blood in mind for salvation. And that plan and that purpose was with him and it was him because it materialized. It materialized itself. The thought materialized itself. That 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us that God was in Christ. That plan was God. And it materialized itself as Jesus Christ. And God was in Christ reconciled. Of course, the Bible says the world unto himself. The blood and the body was on the mind of God before he spoke anything into existence. Revelations, when we read the book of Revelation, chapter 13, I believe it is in verse 8, it speaks about talking about judgment and such. And it speaks about the book of life of the Lamb, right? That was slain from the foundation of... Of the world. <laughs> a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Christ hadn't went to Calvary yet. Christ hadn't went to Calvary yet. Amen. At the foundation of the world. Amen. Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem yet. At the foundation of the world. But in the thought, the plan, the reason, the purpose of God. It was already considered done in the mind God operates in this realm called eternity. You and I are bound to the box of time. In the realm of eternity, Christ was already crucified. In the realm of eternity, blood was already shed. In the realm of eternity, the answer was already there. He just used time to display what he already deemed in eternity. The blood and the... So we're not coming upon something new in the Gospels or in Corinthians or even in Exodus. This was all a part of God's reason, purpose, and plan from the beginning. 
This is an ancient ordinance that's been on the mind of God before there was ever a star ever put in the sky. Woo! So the thought, when you understand that then, the thought of a lamb, if I could say it like that, was on the mind of God in the beginning. And so that thought materialized when Jesus was born. And John the Baptist, as he was baptizing one day, and Jesus comes walking out there, and John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So here is the crux then, folks. The very thing God was preoccupied with before creation and leading up to Jesus' birth is the very thing he wants us to remember. It's the very thing he wants us to remember until he returns for his church. Because the church is the only entity on earth that ever cost God something. Whenever everything else, you talk about mountains, you talk about rivers, you talk about animals, et cetera, et cetera. You talk about all those other things. Amen. Those things were created by the word of God. But God, the only thing on earth that cost God something was the church because God purchased the church with his blood. But God is the spirit, John 4, 24. Hath not flesh and blood. So if there's going to be any blood, there has to be a body. And that's where you get bread and blood. Because the blood isn't available to you without a container, a body. And so <laughs> someone say amen. He says, this was on my mind. The body and the blood was upon my mind before I ever created the world. What he's really saying is you all. You all were on my mind before I ever created the world. Whenever Jesus was born in that Bethlehem and I overshadowed Mary and all that, I had the church on my mind. And he said, I want you to remember. I want you to remember that the only thing that ever cost me anything was you, and that required blood, but the blood then required a body. Jesus Christ. So God wants our minds to be consumed with the very thing that his mind had been consumed with. Whenever you start reading, you start reading uh, uh, the Apostle Paul through the epistles. Amen. Those that he wrote to individuals and those that he wrote to churches, you'll find very quickly that the Apostle Paul was a, a, a participant, a practicer of this concept of having the body and the blood constantly upon his mind. Amen. Why do you think all times throughout the scriptures you see Paul talking about, man, I don't want to know anything else except what? Jesus Christ. What? And him crucified. He's remembering Jesus Christ, the body, and him crucified as the... him crucified as the blood in essence he was remembering the purchase price of the only thing God ever bought and that was us and 
So whenever I come up here tonight, I'm remembering sac- I remember the broken body. I'm remembering the shed blood. I'm remembering each other. And I'm remembering that as I partake of this, this is the price. The only thing that he ever gave to buy the only thing he ever wanted. Man, I'm having fun. We're not told in Scripture. We're not told in Scripture how often to practice communion. We're simply told as often as we do it to do it in remembrance of him. Amen. And whenever we understand that the origin of communion is linked with Passover, a festival that commemorates God delivering his people from Egypt. That word remember takes on a greater meaning of just recalling to the mind the facts. All right. Because whenever you look at it, even in Old Testament, like Deuteronomy 18, and you see God is constantly telling his people, lest they forget, and telling them concerning remembering. That verb to remember encompasses more than just remembering facts about body and blood. But that verb remember also encompasses then a response of worship and gratitude for the facts of the body and the blood. This is not just coming up here grabbing a, a, a little wafer and a, and a little cup there of, uh, of juice. And remember. No, no, no. It's then having a response to the remembrance. Communion services do not have to be some dead order segment. This is, just, this, this is just not a formality. But whenever you truly remember what he did and the price he paid for you, it should provoke some response of gratitude and thanksgiving and worship and adoration and exaltation. Amen. To the one who has done this for us. That's also encompassed in that remembering. Not just the facts, but responding to the facts. Thistleton, a, a church scholar, he said, So Jesus is describing more than a morbid recalling of his suffering on our behalf and certainly more than a mere mental recollection of his death for our sins. Jesus is rather describing a celebratory response of worship, gratitude, and obedience. So we're responsive. And I, I, I urge you, I urge you, I ask of you, amen, to approach the table rightly is whenever you, you partake of this is to consider the facts but then to respond. Respond with the gratitude whenever you feel the gravity of the weight of what took place. What happened in order to purchase you. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26. For as often. Notice it's not a question that if you'll do it, but basically when you do it. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do shew. That word shoe means you proclaim, you preach, you teach, you declare. You do proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Whenever you do this, you're declaring the Lord's death until he comes. Now, there's something I want you to consider then here tonight. A few things happen whenever we have a communion service, or should I say a few things should happen whenever we have a communion service. 
Number one, and I'm, I'm not trying to be redundant, but just listen to me. We look back to Calvary, all right, and we're thankful. Number two, we look within ourselves and examine ourselves. Number three, we look around and we consider one another. Number four, we look ahead to Christ's return. Amen. So, so we, we look back. It's kind of like we look back. We're looking at the past. We're looking at the present concerning ourselves and others. And we're looking toward the future. <laughs> when he's coming again. Honey, if you can't get excited about considering those things. It's, man, it excites me to think about Calvary, but it excites me not just to think of his first coming, but to think of his second coming. Or otherwise, Paul wouldn't have told those people, comfort ye one another with these words. Woo! Here, let me lift your spirits tonight. He's coming again. He's not dead in the tomb curled up and people are going by and giving homage to some memorial laid in a sanctuary out or out in the, some, some cemetery somewhere. He's coming again. Amen. The Bible says, let me continue. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I want to make some distinction here where there may have been confusion perhaps in the past. Unworthily is not the same as unworthy. You hearing me? Unworthily is not the same as unworthy. They're two different words. Unworthy is an adjective. That means without value, not deserving. Unworthily in this verse of scripture is an adverb, meaning irreverently, disrespectfully, lightly, in an unworthy manner. In other words, the word unworthy is a condition. Unworthily is a manner in which something is done. You listening to me? If the criterion was that we must be worthy in order to take communion, no one would be able to take communion. But this relates to the manner in which it is taken. In other words, this is not a joke. This is serious. There, there should be reverence. This isn't so much about, it isn't about who may take the emblems of the body and the blood, but how these emblems are taken. Again, this is addressed, Paul's addressing this in Corinthians because of how the Corinthians believers were approaching the Lord's table. They were disrespectful. They were taking this matter very lightly. Amen. In other words, when we come and take this tonight, we, we got to consider the spirit and the attitude that we take this communion with. We, 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 we need to meet, as the scripture says, before we do it, we need to self-examine ourselves. We need to meet the condition of self-examining ourselves. And look, though, what Paul says, and I think this is important. Draw your attention to verse 28. Paul said, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat and drink. You examine yourself. You properly examine yourself. When you've done that, then turn toward the table and take a communion. That's what Paul says. He says, when you examine yourself, whenever you have done that, look at it again. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat. And then later he says, drink. So taking unworthily, as denoted in the scripture, is about people who just rush into here tonight, participate without remembering the purpose. 
without considering the price, without considering the body and the blood and what that meant then and now for us personally. Taking it unworthily is just being irreverent, not giving no consideration, just doing it through a, let me say, doing it just as a formalism. Doing it as a ritual. But not getting to the crux of the matter of the intent and really discerning the Lord's body. Amen. Jesus, listen to me. This is a pivotal point just to further support what I have said. Jesus did communion with his disciples before he was ever crucified. Okay. Whenever he's talking about this is my body and this is my blood which is shed. That's neat within itself because he says it is shed, which is present in the Greek, shedding, like it's taking place right now. But he wasn't on the cross right then. But as Jesus, he told them that, but God was in him, and through the eye of eternity, God could already say it's happening right now. There's a lot of good stuff that we can't talk about at all because we wouldn't take communion tonight. (laughs) But so with this, he was he was instituting communion with his disciples before he ever was crucified before he was ever crucified all right and so with that being said there there is nothing i'll just say this just as a overarching there is nothing magical about the bread up here there's nothing magical about the grape juice up here these are simply emblems simply emblems there is nothing magical about them at all they're simply emblems of communion amen all right but the disciples listen to me whenever they were going to take communion with the lord the disciples knew only a little what the lord was really saying to them because it hadn't happened yet he'd share with them destroy this temple three days i'll raise it up right he'd share with them give them glimpses about how he's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men He's telling them all about. So they only had a certain amount of understanding because it had not happened yet. But listen to me. Here's the disciples. They didn't have no idea of knowing truly how weak their commitment to the Lord was. Just walk with me. Or how weak their resolve to serve the Lord really was. They didn't know the real, real true distinctions of their heart. But they were never hidden from Jesus. Are you listening to me? They were never hidden from Jesus. He knew while he gave them the bread and gave them the cup, he knew that Peter was going to deny him. He knew that all was going to flee from him. Yet, listen to me, he didn't refuse any of them the cup and the body. And so what I'm saying tonight is this. We cannot afford to turn away from the remembrance of the Lord. If the Lord himself extended bread and the cup to those who he knew was going to forsake him in just a few hours. If you're saying, well, you know, I'm probably going to mess up. You know, that, well, you know, I probably am too. But we examine ourselves, and we remember what he did. And if you remember what he did was not in while we were yet sinners. Is that what Romans says? While we were yet sinners, that he was crucified? He didn't do it for the godly. What we're recalling, remember, is not something that he did for the godly. Hallelujah. On the holy. 
No. It was for those that were flawed. It was for those that were tainted. Amen. Now, a common item. Everybody doing okay? We, I've, I've only been up here 36 minutes. That's it. Amen. A common item. <laughs> a common item at Passover meal was a lamb. This goes all the way back again to Israel's deliverance from Egypt. That first Passover, that spotless lamb that they were uh, decreed by Moses to take, they were to take a lamb, set it aside on the 10th day, let it sit there till the 14th. Let it sit for four days to make sure that is a spotless lamb, that it's well, and that it would be killed, and that its blood then would be taken from the basin and placed upon the lintel and, and the doorposts of the house. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 12, and you can read this in your own private time, all of the lamb was to be eaten as part of the Passover meal. And God even told them, again, uh, that the blood should be put on these prescribed areas of, of the doorposts and the lintel. And then later in the same chapter, Exodus 12, later in the same chapter, whenever Moses actually has the people doing it, I just find this interesting, when Moses later has the, the, the families actually doing this, Moses emphasizes to the families that after you put the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, he said, don't leave the house. God didn't include that in his prescription, but Moses just kind of threw that. After you get the blood on there, he said, don't, don't leave the house. Man, that's good advice to anyone. Can I tell you that? That's good advice to anyone that's experienced the saving power of Calvary. After it's been applied, don't leave the house. Don't... Don't leave the house. And so that was the practice. A spotless lamb was the practice from Exodus 12 forward. They, pra they, they practiced Passover every year. It was an annual festival. They did it every year. And so that's a common practice. So when people got together, they expected a lamb to be on the table. They expected a lamb to be on the table. Now, being that the case in the Gospels, the disciples show up here at Passover. They're aware from their history, from, from, from the, pre, the, uh, the precedent that had been set aforetime, that a lamb was a part of the Passover meal. But it's interesting, in the Gospels, it doesn't say anything about a lamb being present. Right. Now, some scholars will argue, yeah, there was one there. I have trouble following really how they know it was there. And there are others that say, no, there wasn't one there. And so since that's the case, let me just kind of throw something out here just theoretically tonight. Let's just say there wasn't, because I can't find it. Let's just say there wasn't one at that meal when that's what they always expected, a lamb at the Passover meal. The disciples come to a Passover supper expecting a lamb. But they didn't need to expect a lamb because there was a lamb seated at their table. There's a lamb seated at their table. That might go back then all the way to the prophetic words of Abraham. They might have felt like Isaac as they're going up to Mount Moriah. God, uh, Daddy, we got the wood and we got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And I believe the spirit of prophecy in Genesis 22 landed on Abraham when he looked back at Isaac and said, No worry, son. God will provide himself. What are we going to do? There's no lamb on the table. It's Passover. That's all right, boys. God will provide himself a lamb. <laughs> the blood and the bread 
this has been around for a time, folks. If you remember, and this, this is good because we haven't been in Acts for a while, but the last chapter we were in was Acts chapter number 8, talking about the Ethiopian eunuch and how, how Philip went out there and spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you'll remember, whenever he came to him, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from the book of Isaiah. And what he was reading there in Isaiah was about, it says, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shear. Now, if you go back to Isaiah where that's mentioned, Isaiah doesn't say anything about Jesus. Isaiah doesn't say anything about Jesus whatsoever. Jesus' name is not mentioned. And for that matter, more, most religious and denominal people will just talk about Isaiah. What he was referring to was the suffering servant. Everybody's afraid to say who it was. They're saying it's just he's talking about a suffering servant. But Philip wasn't afraid. Philip understood. Philip understood because whenever he began to talk to the Ethiopian, he says, listen here, and I'm, I stand with Philip today. I'm not afraid to affirm, amen, who that was talking about. The Bible says he started at the same scripture where the Ethiopian was reading about how he was led as a sheep to a slaughter and a lamb, a lamb dumb before a shearer, shearer. And the Bible says Philip began at the same scripture and preached what unto him? Jesus. Jesus. So as we take communion here this evening, Trying to keep track of time. Let us be purposeful about remembering and looking back to Calvary, the broken body, the shed blood, but in that remembrance, a response of gratitude, thanksgiving for the only price that God ever paid for the only thing that ever cost him something, and that was the church. Let's look within. Examine ourselves before we do this. We'll have a time of repentance to examine ourselves. Let's look around. Let's consider one another. Let's, in that respect, discern the Lord's body in that respect. Consider our brothers and our sisters, our attitudes, our relationships with one another. And then lastly, let's look ahead to Christ's return to proclaim, preach, teach his death till he returns in doing this babe if you could help me here this evening i'm going to allow you all to get your own cup my wife is going to get the bread for you because everybody's kind of germ scared right now thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.